In the beginning, we were created and designed to live and walk with God. But humanity traded the truth for a lie. We traded the glory and goodness of God for the world and our own ways. Separated from God, we were stuck in a pit of our own making. But Jesus broke through. Through His death on the cross and His resurrection, He rescued us from our sin, shame, and pain. Jesus shows us and teaches us how to live a new life, full life, a life that is upside down compared to what we are used to. His upside down, or rather, right side up ways are beautiful and perfect. He empowers us to live His mission, turning this upside down world right side up for His kingdom, His power, and His glory. When I was seven or eight years old, uh, my family and I went to my grandparents' house for a family reunion. And within a couple minutes, uh, my cousins and I had gotten a little too rowdy, so we got kicked outside. And uh, since it was a beautiful day, we decided, hey, let's go down the street to a nearby park. So as we were walking down the sidewalk, one of us spotted a $1 bill laying in the grass. Now, you need to know that First of all, uh, this was 1990, and so it was safe for us to be able to walk down the street to the park, and very normal. But secondly, back in 1990, a dollar was worth something. I mean, like, I would have had to lose four teeth to get a dollar back then. And so, you know, if, uh, if, if one of us maybe had had four quarters or something, you know, we probably would have just divided the spoils up right then and there and, uh, and made a day of it. But we saw this dollar and we thought, man, what can we do with this dollar? Like visions of Mountain Dew and Fun Dip were spinning through our heads, and we thought, man, this is gonna be great. But at some point, one of us, probably not me, but one of us said, you know, we should do the right thing with this dollar. We should do something good with it. So we thought, okay, what are we gonna do with this dollar? How can we make the world a better place? You know, maybe we could donate it to charity. Or, or, or give it to a school. Maybe we could go try and find like a homeless person or something and, you know, give it to them. Well, uh, one of us said we should probably try to give the dollar back to the person who lost it. So we started looking up and down the street. I don't see anybody that looks like they lost a dollar. So, hmm, let's go back to the house where we found it. So we made our way back to the yard where we found the dollar. And we said, we decided, let's go up to the front door. We're going to knock on the door. So as we walked up, we're standing there. Uh, we knocked on the door, and a couple of seconds later, the door opened, and we were greeted by a sweaty, middle-aged man in a tank top. I vividly remember this scene. I won't go any further. And so he's standing there, and I had been nominated as the spokesperson for the group, so I stepped forward. Excuse me, sir. We found this dollar in your yard, and we've come to give it back to you. Now, this guy was, I mean, he was taken by surprise. I mean, in most cases, when you have four kids standing on your front doorstep, they're asking you for money, not trying to give you money. And so he said, well, well, thanks, kids. I appreciate it. And we handed him the dollar, and we turned to leave. And he said, well, oh, wait, do you, in, in this voice, 
do you guys want like a, like a snack or something? You know, can I give you something? Of course, you know, we're kids, and so kids like snacks. So we waited patiently for our snack to come. And he came back with a bag of apples. Now, you know, a bag of apples, maybe not number one on the snack list. Like I'm looking around and saying, you have any Doritos in there or anything? But so he gave us the bag of apples. And so as we're walking back to uh, my grandparents' house, uh, we start opening up this bag of apples and we learn that every single one of them was rotten on the inside. So anyway, as, as we're walking back, despite the fact that, you know, we'd found a dollar, given it to someone else and gotten rotten apples in, in, in re- return, we were glad because we had done the right thing, right? While having integrity, though, that day felt good, it wasn't easy because we very easily could have kept that dollar for ourselves. You see, since the introduction of sin, human nature has had a heart problem. And one of the ways that we see this is that we are, in our very core, dishonest. That we're fine with being dishonest if it means we get what we want. You could say we have a a natural propensity towards dishonesty. It's easy, it's natural for us to lie. We have to stop our natural tendency to lie in order to be honest. I mean, if you think about it, we even lie about lying, right? We don't call it a lie. We call it a, well, it's just a, a misrepresentation. It's, it's just a little exaggeration of the facts. Not a big deal. It's just a little fib, you know, a, a little white lie. I mean, it's no surprise that we're not even honest about our dishonesty. And you could even say, in fact, that our society expects dishonesty. I mean, this is why we lock our doors, right? This is why we lock the doors to our cars and, and our house. This is why an IOU doesn't go very far. I mean, can you imagine me going to a car dealership and saying, man, I really like that truck over there. I'll tell you what, I'll take it home and I promise I'll come back in a couple days and pay for it, right? No, not at all. Or what about this? What about if I went to the American Airlines counter at the airport to check in? I said, hi, my name is Brian James Leonard and I am ready to get on the plane. And they just let me go get on the plane without any identification. That would never happen. You have to pull out your passport like 10 times to get on the plane and they still might not let you, you know? People expect dishonesty. The world expects dishonesty because it's at our core. It's a part of, you could say, who we are naturally. And so it's time for me to be uh, transparent with all of you. It's time for me to, uh, to be honest and say that at times, I struggle with the temptation to be dishonest, and I know that I'm not the only person in the room, but at times, I, I struggle with the temptation to, you know, maybe stretch the facts out, or, or, you know, maybe conveniently leave out a fact here or there, part of the truth, you know, maybe kind of let something slide without saying anything. Here's some examples. So let's say it's early in the morning, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm making coffee, and so I'm pouring uh, the, cu- the coffee into the cup, and I'm really looking forward to this cup of coffee. And then I hear footsteps behind me, and it's my wife. And she says, oh, did you make that cup of coffee for me? Yes, this cup of coffee is for you. I love you. Drink this. (laughs) Or what about this? So I'm at the grocery store, and I don't know about you guys, but when I go to the grocery store, I am on a mission. It's like surgery. Get in, do what you need to do, get out, okay? And so um, I I get there, and I don't want to waste my time with a huge cart 
I'm more agile with the little basket, okay? So I go in, I know exactly what I'm gonna get, and so I'm flying up and down the aisles. If you ever see me at the grocery store and I don't wave at you or acknowledge you, don't take it personally. I'm on a mission, okay? And so uh, I'm going through the aisles, I'm getting what I need, and then when it's time to check out, I don't wanna wait in line at the, you know, the, the checker line where the lady in front of me has the huge mound of, of groceries. I'm like, no, self-checkout, here we go. So I go to the self-checkout, and man, I'm checking out. Beep, beep, beep. It is not working. And I'm like taking the barcode and putting it straight on the little red laser eye, and nothing's happening. I'm like, are you kidding me? And so... I look around, I could very easily drop that fruit cup in the bag and just walk out. And it's not even necessary that I wanna steal a 78 cent fruit cup, it's that I don't wanna take the time to, you know, you push the button and then the associate comes and then what do they do? The same thing that I was just trying to do. They're, they're trying to scan it also. And so they can't get their work, so they have to type something in, they have to call the manager, they have to call the corporate office. I mean, it just, it's gonna take forever. Or, or what about when I get out to the parking lot, and let's say I did use a shopping cart, so I'm loading the back of my car, and I realize, oh man, there's a bag of potatoes on the bottom rack of the shopping cart, and I didn't pay for them. And I think, I could very easily take these potatoes and put them in the back of my car, and no one would know. Now, do I always go back into the store and pay for the potatoes? Yes. Do I always push the button and have the associate come over and help? Yes. But for that, for that one second, man, I'm tempted to not. I'm tempted to be dishonest. Or what about this situation? And honestly, I need your help with this one. It's a real dilemma for me. Uh, actually, Pastor Adam and I, I know he's over in the East Auditorium. He and I were talking about this and we're not sure where the line is. We call it the text call text. So here's what happens. I have been commissioned to uh, make a call, to, to set something up, maybe for the plumber. Or we'll, yeah, we'll say the plumber has to come over. So Mary's commissioned me to, to make this phone call, and she knows that I forget things very easily. And so uh, she's asked me a couple times. I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. So tomorrow has come. I'm sitting in my office, and I get a text. Did you remember to call the plumber? Oh, man, I completely forgot to call the plumber. So what do I do? I pick up my phone. I call the plumber. It's all set up, and then I text back. Yeah, I remember to call the plumber. He's coming on Friday at 3. Is that a lie? <laughs> Technically, no. Thank you, Dominic, for backing me up. <laughs> Technically, no. <laughs> because I did remember to call the plumber, I just didn't remember on my own to call the plumber. And so the issue here is, what's at the heart? I mean, lying alone isn't the issue. The real problem is my heart, my heart behind the temptation to lie. It's my human nature. You could say I'm kind of like this teapot here. I mean, this teapot, it looks really good on the outside, doesn't it? I mean, I look good on the outside. Well, okay, that, that's debatable. My, my conduct, my, my actions look good on the outside. But the inside, that might be a little bit different story. We'll come back to that later, okay? And so, 
as we were planning this series out, uh, as we were dividing up the passages and deciding, okay, who's gonna preach on what, I still remember the moment when I got the email from Pastor Brian Tolte that I was gonna be teaching this weekend on honesty and integrity, and I thought, man, I don't know about that. Like, it may be the best sermon ever, but I am far from the best example ever. And so if you're taking notes, today's message is titled, The Mediocre at Best Sermon. (laughs) I'm not the best example ever, but the good news is that Jesus was. Remember that everything that Jesus taught, he displayed perfectly. Jesus was perfectly honest, he was full of integrity all the time. He never lied, he never cheated, he never stole. Jesus' life was an illustration of his teachings. And so Jesus gives instructions about being honest, about keeping promises, also known as oaths. And so the giving of oaths, or or maybe your Bible says vows, uh, was something that God's people had been doing for centuries and centuries before Jesus taught about them in the Sermon on the Mount. And so in the part of the Bible known as the law, which is part of the Old Testament, um, this law was given by God to his people uh, to instruct their living. They were basically rules for living. Obviously, you know, God knows best. You would think that the author of life would know how to give good rules about life. And so God tells them a number of different things, one of those being that if they made an oath, they should fulfill it. And so God sets the perfect example. Once again, in the Old Testament, uh, God promised his people. He made an oath to them. The, the, uh, in Deuteronomy, it says that, you know, I made a vow to you. I, I, I made an oath to you that I would bring you out of slavery, that I would, I would protect you and I would provide for you. I would give you everything that you needed. And of course, because God is perfect, he sets the perfect example. And so God kept his oath. Well, then, in, uh, in the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 27, we actually see seven times or seven different paragraphs where God is giving instructions about oaths. And so rather than reading the entire chapter to you out of Leviticus, basically each of those is summed up in this phrase, if you make a vow, be honest and fulfill it. And so this principle is applied to everything from selling property to helping someone build a house to uh, giving a gift to someone, uh, even making an offering to God, if you make an oath, if you make a vow, promise, if you make this promise, follow through with it. If you commit to something, then keep your word, follow through. But I want you to notice something. Notice uh, a little two-letter word that's, that's in there. And it's the word if. If you make a vow, if you make a promise. You see, God didn't create this system of oaths. God never instructed his people to make oaths. God didn't say, thou shall make oaths to one another. Instead, God says, if you make an oath, if you make a vow, then you should fulfill it. You should follow through, keep your word. So God didn't create this system of oaths. People did. The people uh, did this. And so, and, and honestly, they continued to develop uh, this system of oaths for centuries and centuries to the point where, where we get to Jesus. And, and by this time, the system of oaths had gotten way, way out of hand. I mean, people were making oaths all over the place. They were making oaths to get out of oaths that they had made. Let's see how many times I can say the word oaths, okay? So, so this system was just, it was huge. It was complicated. And then Jesus 
addresses the system. Then Jesus steps into it. In Matthew chapter five, uh, verses 33 through 37, Jesus gives instructions about being honest. And basically, uh, Jesus is talking about integrity, about following through with what someone promises. Now, when, when we think about these, uh, these promises, uh, these oaths, I want you to think back to promises maybe that you made as a kid, okay? When you were a kid and you wanted to make a promise, what did you do? I, I pinky promise, yeah. Now, I mostly saw girls you know, making pinky promises. I promise, you know, that uh, we'll be best friends forever. I promise I'll meet you at the park after school, whatever. But for boys, you know what our promise was? The spit shake. If you really wanted to commit to something, you did a spit shake. Now, I want you to think about this. This is why this is gross, and this is why mostly boys did this. You're spitting on your hand. The other person is spitting on their hand. And then you're putting your spit together. I mean, that in itself requires a high level of commitment. <laughs> but, but we did it. I'm, as, I'm ashamed to say. And so uh, the pinky promise, the spit shake, commitment. You are committed to something. You are going to follow through. And so uh, we see here uh, Jesus teaching about this. Starting in verse 33. Jesus says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, because that's weird, but also... You cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus speaks into this system of oaths. But I want you to remember. Remember that that this was a man-made system. And that by the time uh, this system um, had, had developed so much when, when we get to uh, Jesus' ministry that it had become actually really intricate and complicated. And in fact, in fact, at this time, the religious leaders, they had written a book. They'd published a book um, describing all of the different oaths that there were and, and, and describing basically the different levels of oaths and how one oath was stronger than another one. And so if you swore by uh, the temple, you know, that was like a level six. But if you swore by heaven, you know, just, it was so complicated. Think about it, an entire book of oaths. And so, you know, I almost get this, this image of like kind of these religious leaders almost like trying to one-up each other, you know, like kids do. Well, I swear by Moroa that I'm telling the truth. yeah. Well, I swear by Moroah and Forsyth that I'm telling the truth. Yeah, well, I swear by Moroah, Forsyth, and my maternal grandmother. And the other guy's like, all right, I'm out. I mean, once you swear by grandma, you win. And so this system, it had just, it had become so complicated. But here's the thing. The reason that people were making oaths is because they couldn't be trusted. They couldn't be trusted solely on their word. And so it became common for people to swear by something else, like Jerusalem or the temple or heaven, to validate their word. Swearing by something gave weight to their claim or the promise. 
It's kind of like somebody today who says, I swear to God, or, or sometimes I hear people say, man, I swear on my kid's life, as if that's some kind of like, like a trump card, or, or it gives extra weight to whatever they're saying. You know, when I was in middle school, uh, I knew a kid that he would often say, I swear to God. He was always saying that. And, you know, it kind of bothered me a little bit. But also, uh, I learned pretty quickly that this guy was just as good at lying while swearing to God as he was simply lying. And so what's Jesus saying? What, what is Jesus saying into this, into this broken system? Jesus is addressing this broken system that people had built on top of God's law. So remember, God gave his people the law as a baseline of how they should live, how they should act. But then there's religious leaders over the years. They just built all these, this mountain of rules on top of it. And so what Jesus is saying is that his followers shouldn't need to give an oath. They shouldn't need to swear by anything. They didn't need to validate their word by an external source like the temple or heaven or anything else because their life should validate their word. Their lives should validate their word. Honest words and an honest life don't need an oath to back them up. But remember, the heart is what's the problem. The heart is the problem. The heart is what Jesus wants to change because a changed heart leads to an honest life. Jesus wants to change our hearts. And so for followers of Jesus, uh, this honesty of, of word and life is summarized in the concept of integrity. Integrity is being honest and undivided in truth in every situation. And I want you to notice this, that integrity is not an outward action. Integrity isn't just something that you do. Integrity is an inward quality. Integrity is who you are on the inside. And integrity is, is summed up in, the, in this very simple yet challenging question. It's only four words. Can I be trusted? Can I be trusted? Can I be trusted to do the right thing in every situation? Can I be trusted even when no one else is watching, even when no one would know? Can I be trusted with, with, with power and authority? Can I be trusted with someone else's resources? This is what integrity means. And so for us, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, can we be people of integrity? Day in and day out, no matter what the circumstances or, or what the cost, whether people are watching or not, can we be completely trusted? And friends, this question isn't answered with our lips alone. It's answered with our lives. It's answered with who we are. And so to sum Jesus' teaching up, to, to, sum it, to, to cut right to the chase and kind of break it all down, we could say this, that the law said, don't break oaths. But Jesus said, don't make oaths. You don't need them. Be a person of integrity, of words and actions and heart. If we are people of integrity, we don't need to swear by anything. Now, Jesus' teaching about uh, this law and really about the law in general was in sharp contrast to the teaching of the religious leaders. And so here's where that, that contrast was. You see, the religious leaders saw the law as external. Basically, they said, just keep the rules. If you do the right actions, you're good. Don't, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. As long as you do the right things outwardly, everything's good. 
But Jesus saw the law as first internal, which then results in the external. So attitudes and identity, which then determine actions. So don't murder, yes. But Jesus says, don't become so angry and bitter towards someone that it makes you wanna murder them. And, and, and don't steal, yes, of course, don't steal. But don't become so selfish and greedy and envious of what someone else has that you want to steal from them. Don't lie, yes, of course, don't lie. But the reason that you shouldn't lie is because you are a person of integrity on the inside. And so the religious leaders of, of the day, uh, they were really good at, you could say, playing the game, at looking good. They were good at looking good on the outside. Doing the right actions outwardly, and honestly, doing them pretty comfortably. But remember, Jesus came to change people on the inside. Jesus wants to change us on the inside. And as we know, it's uncomfortable to address what's on the inside. It's, it's uncomfortable to change what's in here, to address our, our anger and our dishonesty and our greed. It's kind of like uh, this teapot over here. And so, Dominic, go ahead and come on up. I needed a volunteer, and I gave him a ride to church, so he kind of owes it to me. <laughs> so, uh, Dominic, how would you describe the outside of this, this teapot? Clean. Yeah, it is. It's pretty clean. Heather's been making sure it's clean all weekend. So, I want you to take the lid off. Yeah, how would you describe the inside? Disgusting. Disgusting? Yeah, that's why I'm standing over here. Yeah. So let me ask you the question. Would you drink something out of this teapot? No. Uh, this man here, he loves hot chocolate. What if I just put some milk in here, warmed it up, poured it out? Would you, would you be up for that? No. Absolutely not. Okay, all right. Uh, don't back away yet. I'm not going to make you drink anything. Um, what would I have to do to this in order for you to be willing to drink out of it? Clean it a hundred times, okay. Uh, maybe let it soak a little bit or a long time. Um, I mean, this is, oh, it's, I forgot. Fred taped it because he was afraid I would break it. So um, anyway, yeah, clean it for a long time. Let it soak. Maybe run it through the, the dishwasher, you know, 10 or 20 times. But then if it was clean, if you could look on the inside and see for yourself that it's, that it's clean, would you be willing to drink out of it? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> still only maybe. <laughs> He's still suspicious. All right, well, thanks, Dominic. All right, so Jesus actually uses an image um, of a teapot or a cup uh, later in his ministry. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus actually called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, out. And he said, you guys, you're like a cup. You're like a pot. You, you polish the outside, and man, you, you make yourself look so good on the outside. But inside, in the words of Dominic Brown, you're disgusting, you're nasty, you're gross. You're full of, of poison and, and just grossness, if that's a word. And so Jesus is calling them out. He's saying, you work so hard to look good on the outside, but what's inside is what matters. I mean, that's what matters in a teapot. It's not like we lick drops of tea off the outside of the teapot. What we drink, what, what, what we take in is what comes out of the teapot. And so Jesus says, stop worrying about the outside. If you clean the inside of the cup, if you clean the inside of the pot, you will naturally clean the outside. And so it's the same for us. We have to focus on what's on the inside. Jesus came to change what's on the inside. This is where integrity begins. 
Integrity starts on the inside. And so Jesus is challenging his culture, and you could say our culture, the culture of our day, that says, do what's best for you. Focus on yourself. Do what's easy and feels right in the moment. Pursue personal gain, personal fulfillment, personal glory, as long as, as long as you can do it while looking good on the outside. And so what does our culture say? Our culture says, yeah, you can be angry with someone just as long as you don't come up on stage and slap them. Our culture says, yeah, you, you should be nice to the people that you wanna impress, but you can be a jerk later at the restaurant to your server. Our culture says, do the right thing when people are watching. But when they're not, get everything you can. And Jesus speaks against this. Jesus goes against this. The way of Jesus changes us on the inside. Now maybe you came today and you would say, the only thing I signed on for was just to come to church. I didn't come here to you know, do all of this inward heart stuff. Like, I'm here, check. Or, or maybe you're here this morning and you would say, man, all this teaching of Jesus, like it sounds nice and it's poetic and you know, it, it sounds good on a Sunday morning, but I just don't see how it actually works in real life. I don't see how me or anyone can be perfectly honest and never angry and, and never bad. I, I don't see how this works. Well, I want you to know um, that if you are asking that question, first of all, you're not alone. But second, that's a really good question. And this is a place to ask good questions. You know, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that Jesus always invited, he always welcomed people who had questions. He always, he always invited people who, who would come and say, Jesus, I, I understand a little bit, but help me understand the rest. I, I don't get it. I, I don't see how this works. Or, or, you know, people who would come and say, yeah, I believe, but I don't really believe a lot, or I don't believe completely. And so Jesus welcomed them. He always was talking to them. He's always answering questions. You know, the group of people that Jesus sent away that he didn't like, the people who had no questions, the people who were like, yeah, I know everything, the religious leaders. He said, get out of here, get away. And so it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. This is a place that you can bring those. Bring those questions to Jesus. Bring those questions to God's word. The Bible is full of stories of people that had questions and had doubts and wondered how it was all gonna work out. And this church is a community of faith where we can wrestle together, we can, we can work out our faith together. Because a faith that doesn't work in real life is no faith at all. And so we invite you to come and let's, let's wrestle together, let's, let's work together on, on how this actually works. So that brings us back to our question. Is it even possible to act the way that Jesus said to act? And the answer is determined by where we begin. If I begin simply by trying harder to, to, to push against the grain of my natural temptations to be angry and uh, to be dishonest, then there's no way that I can do it. It's, it's not like I can just double down and just white knuckle. Okay, I'm just gonna hold on tighter this time. I'm, I'm gonna make it. Because the history of my life up to this point has already proven time and time and time again that I fail and that I fall short. We can't just try harder. But 
if following Jesus begins with admitting our temptations and our weaknesses, knowing that we are poor in spirit, as, as Jesus says, it's when we surrender and we let Jesus change us, that's when it makes following him realistic. A changed heart is the only thing that leads to a changed life. And so without a changed heart, there's no point in even trying. And so with changed hearts, we can be people of integrity. We don't need to swear by anything. You know, earlier we discussed how our society expects us to be dishonest. But what if we were different? What if we were people of integrity? What if, what if when the server forgets to charge us for part of our meal, we say, excuse me, I think I owe you a little bit more money than this. Or what if we were honest in every conversation? Instead of you know, telling uh, one person one thing and another person another thing and the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle, what if we were honest all the time? For you students, what if you took every test? What if you turned in every paper, every assignment with honesty? For those of us at work, what if every time we submitted the real numbers on our report? We weren't just trying to level up. What if we could be trusted in every situation, no matter what the stakes? Then we would be set apart, we would be different. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Adam shared with us about how Jesus said that we, if we are followers of him, that we are salt and light, that we are different, we are set apart, we are distinct from the world around us. And so one of the things that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is that uh, we are like a city on a hill. Now, I think sometimes, you know, the illustration uh, gets lost a little bit because uh, we can take light basically anywhere that we want. I mean, we have headlights on our cars, we have street lights, we have flashlights, we have batteries. And so anywhere that we need to go, we just push a button, we have light. But back in Jesus' day, if you were in the city on the hill where there's light, you were safe. But if you happen to be out on the road at night, you were in grave danger. Darkness meant fear and vulnerability. Light meant safety and security. Let us be light to those around us. If we live as people of integrity, if, if our words and our actions are true, if we can be trusted in every situation, then we will stand out. We will be a light. The bottom line, the bottom line is that the best sermon ever, it's not about how great we need to be. Rather, it's about surrendering to Jesus, waving our white flag and saying, Jesus, I can't be a person of integrity on my own. I need you to change me. And so here in a second, uh, the, the worship team is gonna come out and uh, we are going to participate in communion. But first, I wanna tell you about when uh, all of this became real for me. You see, when I was a kid, I grew up uh, going to church. Not just sometimes, every time. I went to church every week. And not only was I good at going to church, but I was good at being a church kid. And so I was the kid that I was there every week, and I remembered the Bible lesson from the previous week, and I had the Bible verse memorized, I had perfect attendance, I mean, I was the kid that it was embarrassing to be in my Sunday school class with me because my chart had like three times more stars than anybody else. 
I, and not only that, I was really good at looking like a church kid. I was really good at looking good on the outside. But inside, inside, I knew that I was dishonest. I lied. I cheated. I knew that I was angry. I knew that I was selfish. And it wasn't until somewhere around junior high that I kind of had a, like a breaking moment where I said, man, I can't do this anymore. I can't be one thing on the outside knowing that on the inside, I'm so selfish and greedy and dishonest. And so it was in that moment that I got on my knees. I could, I could take you to uh, my basement in Logan, Iowa and show you the corner where I knelt down and I said, God, I can't do this. I've tried to change my life so many times and I can't do it on my own. I need you to change me. Come into my mess and change me. Change me into the person that you want me to be. And so it was from that moment forward that Jesus began to change my heart. The transformation began. Now, is it done yet? Absolutely not, ask my wife. I still have a long ways to go. God is still cleaning the inside of my life, but I'm a different person now for letting him in. And so one of the ways that we um, practice heart change is through confession. Confession is being honest with ourselves and honest with God about our sin and our brokenness. We confess, God, I'm sinful. I fall short all the time. I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I need someone to come in and save me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says that Jesus was perfect and yet he came into our mess, into our sin, and he took on what we deserve. Jesus was our redeemer. The definition of a redeemer is someone who buys something back, someone who buys someone else back. We deserve death and yet Jesus bought us with his life. He gave up his life so that we could have life. And so just a couple hours before Jesus was arrested and killed, uh, he sat down with his disciples for a meal and he took bread and he took the cup and he said, when you guys do this, I want you to remember my sacrifice. And so that's what we do as, as a part of our worship uh, each week. But there's also an element of examination. There's an element of confession, of saying, God, I'm gonna come grips, come to, the, come to grips with who I am and the fact that I need your love. We have to remember that we're the reason that Jesus went to the cross. And so we confess our sins before him. We get honest with ourselves, we get honest with God, and we allow him to begin to change us. And so during the next song, as you uh, take the bread and as you take the cup, pause for a moment of examination. Because it's when we examine our lives, it's when we, we examine the full weight of our sins that we get to experience the full weight of release, of forgiveness. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for everything that you have done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in our place. And God, we know that we didn't deserve it. We, we don't deserve it, Lord. And yet, Lord, you saved us, you loved us. 
God, and you love us so much that you don't wanna let us stay in our mess. And so, God, come into our lives, clean us out on the inside so that we might glorify you and so that others might see our lives and glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.